0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guest for the hour is Chip Ward. He's out with a new novel, Stony Mesa Sagas, out from Torrey House Press. Here's the story in brief. Pursued by a hired killer after they protested at a mining site gate, Luna Waxwing and Hip Hop Hopi seek refuge in the remote southwest village of Stony Mesa, where they start over as micro-farming tours with a dangerous secret. With their rodeo princess partner, Kayla, And a colorful cast of unlikely allies, they struggle to find common ground between coyote-killing cowboys and bird-watching retirees. Chip Ward, as you likely know, after living for four years in the wilderness, moved to the edge of Utah's west desert. He organized and led several campaigns to make polluters accountable. He co-founded Heal Utah, served on the board of the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance for several years. Starting as a bookmobile librarian, he ended his library career as the assistant director of the Salt Lake City Public Library. His books Canaries on the Rim and Hope's Horizon they describe his political adventures. He's a regular contributor to TomDispatch.com. His essays on conservation have appeared widely across the web. And interestingly, an essay about homelessness, how the public library became the Heartbreak Hotel, is the inspiration for the movie The Public, which is now in production. And Chip Ward lives in Torrey. Um, welcome to the program.
1: Uh, thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me.
0: Are you uh, Are you joining us from Tory?
1: Yes, I'm in Torrey.
0: Beautiful, beautiful part of the country.
1: Yes.
0: Um, uh, Should mention a couple of events uh, you can uh, interact with, the Chip Ward. First of those events is Wednesday evening at the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. Chip Ward will be uh, reading from signing from Stony Mesa Sagas. That uh, event begins at 7 p.m. at the King's English Bookshop. And then on Thursday, uh, Heal Utah's annual fall party will feature Chip Ward and uh, that's uh, Thursday evening at Pierpont Place in Salt Lake City. Uh, the uh, doors open at 6.30. Program begins at 7.30. Uh, you can check out HealUtah.com for tickets uh, to, to that event. Uh, so a couple of uh, good events there. And um, it must be especially gratifying to return to Heal Utah as a co-founder and headline their fall party.
1: Yes, and that's hillutah.org, by the way. Um, yeah, it's. Um, I, I seem to go to Hill uh, every few years and and uh, do uh, some kind of a, a speech or f- fundraising event. Uh, it's nice to get back in touch and see what's going on there and and visit with old friends.
0: Hillutah.org. Yes, let's get that right. Uh, so, a couple of nonfiction books uh, detailed. Uh, the first book, I think, detailed your. Uh, getting into activism, and uh, with FAIR, and then with Heal Utah, and went forward, and then um, Hopes uh, Horizon, um, a kind of a new wave of environmental activism. So uh, what was the impulse here to, to write a, a fiction book?
1: Well, I'd, I've been curious about fiction for a, a long time. Um, my formative writing experiences, of course, are all what librarians would call nonfiction, uh, and that just kind of grew organically out of my political engagement uh you know if you're if you're doing that kind of grassroots work you 're writing newsletters and pamphlets, at least back in those days you were before we had blogs and websites and so forth um, you 're writing statements to be read at public hearings and at uh, conferences, workshops, debates, panels, and so forth there 's press releases op ed pieces, so I was pretty thoroughly grounded in that and never tried fiction in fact i i used to think uh, of fiction as being a little dangerous because uh... you know you wanted to stick to the facts in order to be credible um, but then uh, i'm also a career librarian and when i was uh, an administrator at the city library one of the perks of that jobs is that you uh, you know you get to take visiting authors at to lunch or dinner or accompanying them to a reception and i had a chance uh, to hear some of the best fiction writers in the country talk about their craft And it really fascinated me, uh, especially uh, the relationship that the authors had with their characters. Uh, I remember Barbara Kingsolver uh, talking about a a novel that she wrote, and one of the characters in the book uh, was someone that she had planned a fairly minor role for for in the outline. And uh, that character, she said once she introduced her, uh, just carved out a larger place in the book than she had expected and she said i had a, a lot of trouble controlling her uh will Hobbs, who is a great young adult author told me he couldn't wait to sit down at his keyboard each day and find out what this uh, character he was writing about what 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 he would do next and where he would take the story so i i was very intrigued by that it seemed to me a, a little like they were flirting with madness inviting these imaginary beings into their lives um, but I was intimidated, uh, Tom. I, you know, as a librarian, you read uh, the best of the best. You read the award winners and all. And, and I would read a book that I really liked, a novel, and I'd say, Oh, my gosh, I could never do that. Uh, which is like a, a little like saying, Well, I'm not going to pick up my guitar and learn to play it because I'll never be like Eric Clapton. So um, I decided at some point to give myself permission. Uh, perhaps I had one of those now or never experiences that people my age get. And I sat down, and I decided to just write a single scene. It's the scene that opens the book. And I really didn't intend to write a novel or, or even a story. I just had this one scene. I wanted to see if I could capture it. And, uh, and once I started to write, uh, that story just kept coming and coming. And was the most wonderful writing experience, most enjoyable writing experience I ever had, because... Um, uh, you know i just i just sort of recorded what was flowing uh... very often i had to stop and say gee what just happened i never had really an outline for the book and uh, at some point i realized my gosh i'm i'm writing a novel um, i wrote very unselfconsciously because i assumed from the very beginning that i wouldn't publish it it was just an exercise to keep my old brain alive and uh, i thought well you know when i finish I'll uh, I'll print off two copies and I'll circulate it among friends and family and uh, and that'll be it. And um, I did that and uh what I heard back was uh, this is a lot of fun and you should share it and uh we have a a local press uh Mark and uh, Bailey and Kirsten Allen our neighbors they started Tory House Press. It's a nonprofit it has a very noble mission. It they're out to save the land through literature. And uh, they put out some very good stuff, and um, I have been preaching the gospel of local resilience for a long time, so it was a good fit, and I decided to to go with them. I should probably uh, say this at the at the outset: Tom, I, I have no pretensions about this being great literature. Mm. Um, it was meant to be amusing and entertaining uh, for folks uh, like me and like my friends. So I hope the readers come to it with, uh, uh, they're not going to get the next Ed Abbey here, they're just going to get Chip Ward being amusing.
0: Well, and, and it is. I mean, there are some serious issues here, of course, but uh, I wonder if you, uh, you have your book with you? I do. Could, could you read the first three paragraphs from Chapter 1? This, this is that scene that you referenced that uh, just uh, was, you took off from there, from, from this scene. It is a very striking and, and, and funny scene.
1: Uh, okay, in um, the first three paragraphs, you said yes. There are many versions of how that Fourth of July celebration in Stony Mesa, now known as the Apple Days riot, unraveled, but all agree that it started when Otis Dooley hit Bo Heineman square in the back with a fresh horse turd. Splat, and the rest is history. Bo's stallion was handsome enough to lead the parade, but was placed by parade organizers at the rear of the parade because his rider was not nearly as handsome or well-liked. Bo's sensitive ego was somewhat massaged when he was given a flag to hold and the organizing committee described his role as the grand conclusion. So when the turd startled horse bolted forward, it crashed through the high school marching band, upended a chain of sequined cheerleaders, galloped through the Boone County Wiener Dog Club, crashed through the Boy Scouts in their best brown shirts, and sent a ripple of alarm and confusion rolling from the back to the, of the parade to the front. The skittish horse then stopped in short in front of the daughters of the Stony Mesa Pioneers float. Heinemann was thrown forward and landed in the large gingham lap of D. Hardsmith, who was representing a pioneer settler in a rocking chair. Bo rolled off the float and hit the ground. A moment later, he was growling obscenities and charging Otis Dooley.
0: <laughs> it goes on from there. This is just the latest in the ongoing feud between these two men. And I think, you know, like many of the characters in the book, people who... Lived in the West and in, especially in small towns, can recognize many of these characters.
1: I think so, and I think that they'll recognize uh, uh, a lot of the, the issues that the characters are trying to sort out. Uh, Stony Mesa is, of course, uh, a fictional place. Um, if you are familiar with Tory and you read the book, you're bound to say, Oh my gosh, Stony Mesa is Tory. Well, yeah, it is, but it's also Boulder, Utah, Escalante, Bluff. And probably uh, a score of other small towns across the West that um, are gateways to national parks, national monuments, wilderness areas. Uh, these tend to be the places where the uh, the economy of the the Old West, which was based on extraction and grazing, rubs up against the economy of the New West, which, for better or worse, is based on tourism and recreation and retirement. So the 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 ensemble of characters in the book are really trying to navigate uh, that you might call it a cultural ecotone, you know, where two different cultures got to rub up against each other and have to reconcile. I
0: wonder if you could tell us a little bit about uh, Bo Heidemann, uh, just briefly. He's he's an outsider, but he but he does bring in money, and so there's kind of a, a conflict there, but but also an appreciation.
1: He's a he's a, a rich man with an unfortunate name. Uh, and uh, I guess you you could say he 's uh, a newcomer he 's uh, a bully uh, he is a rich man who likes to get his way, but he 's opened up a uh, a restaurant and saloon in town which employ people he 's been uh, fairly generous with his money, and so a lot of uh, local merchants and so forth have benefited. People are reluctant to criticize him, but then of course he gets into this feud with the the mayor otis dooley and uh and, the, and and that really becomes the center of that part of the story.
0: One of the uh, one of the points of conflict is a huge neon sign that uh, Bo Heineman puts up on his on his restaurant. And one of the objections Otis Dooley has is your uh, your damaging dark skies.
1: Yeah, and that's an issue that we have down here in Torrey, actually. And uh, and uh, unlike Stony Mesa, we've been very successful, I think, at at uh, figuring that one out um uh, we have a, a, a i'm going to name her because she deserves her deserves credit a uh, woman mary beddenfield smith who has spearheaded an effort to get us a dark sky designation in tory which is is very unusual if you look at a map of the united states uh, showing where you can actually see the milky way there's very few places left in the continental united states where you can do that so um, uh, we we have a designation. We have changed out our street lights to make them less bright. Uh, we've uh, convinced an awful lot of people in town to shield their lights or to change them, and uh, it, the difference is is uh, significant. I can see it from my house because I look down on the town, and of course we have just amazing amounts of stars. And people who who come here, um, uh, that's something that a lot of them have never seen before. Uh so we think it's a resource capital reef is also uh got a debtor, uh, is going for a dark sky designation i think they already have theirs um, so it, it's um, it, it, it's something that those of us who like to look at the night sky of course want an unimpeded view but also it's a tourist attraction and you know a lot of people haven't seen it and uh, they've done studies and they say well, obviously if you have to stay overnight in a place you spend a lot more money than if you're just passing through and if you want to see the stars, you have to stay overnight
0: It's interesting the part of that cultural conflict this goes on and it, it appears in the novel uh, you know a person like Bo Heidemann. who who doesn't fit culturally, who's in many ways resented, who nevertheless brings in uh, badly needed jobs and money.
1: Yeah, and that could probably be, um, I mean, Bo is obviously a a character that was drawn to be uh, amusingly bad. Uh, He's he's not a nice man. But, uh, you know, there are lots of... uh, uh, developments down here in Southern Utah, where uh, those of us who like uh, pristine views and so forth say, oh my gosh, not another resort, not another restaurant, not another motel. But on, on the other hand, that has become the lifeblood of our, uh, of our town. And many of those people who own those businesses are, are really uh, in sync with the rest of us and think that uh, far from, from being a problem, national monuments uh, are assets.
0: Let's uh, take a break when we come back more with Chip Ward. The uh, new novel is Stony Mesa Sagas, and it's out from Tory House uh, Press. Uh, Chip Ward is going to be in Salt Lake City for a couple of events. First is on Wednesday, and he'll be uh, signing his book, reading from, and signing his book at the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City, and that's beginning at 7 p.m. on Wednesday. Then uh, Chip Ward will be uh, headlining an event uh, at the Fall Party for Heel, Utah. That is Thursday evening. Doors open at 6.30. Program begins at 7.30, and that's at uh, Pierpont Place in Salt Lake City. You can get more information on that. Get your tickets, uh, I believe, through HealUtah.org. More following the break.
1: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah State University's Center for Women and Gender, providing a professional and social climate to enhance opportunities through learning, discovery, and engagement. Information at womanandgender.usu.edu.
0: Naturally, I never anticipated the pressures
1: when I supposedly saved the president's life.
0: September 22nd, 1975, Oliver Sippel was just another face in the crowd. When all of a sudden... Thank God, there's been a shot. He ran toward danger. And he paid dearly for that. You're known for saving the president's life. See, I'm sorry. I'm so nervous. Excuse me. The incredible story of Oliver Sipple on the next radio lab.
1: Tuesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio.
0: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Devour Utah, a bi monthly magazine devoted to covering Utah's dining and drink scene with a spotlight on cooking, local happenings, and libations. Available at newsstands or online at devourutah.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guest for the hour is Chip Ward. He co-founded Heal Utah, served on the board of the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance for several years, and starting as a bookmobile librarian, he ended his library career as assistant director of the Salt Lake City Public Library. His previous books are nonfiction books, Canaries on the Rim, and Hope's Horizon. The latest book is a novel, Stony Mesa Sagas. It's out from Torrey House Press, and uh, Chip Ward is joining us from uh, his home in Torrey, um, he will be in Salt Lake City at the King's English Bookshop at 7 p.m. on Wednesday. That event is free and open to the public. Then on Thursday, uh, the 11th annual Fall Party for Heal Utah will feature Chip Ward. And uh, for that event on Thursday, doors open at 6:30. Program begins at 7:30 p.m. More information at HealUtah.org. Um, so before we jump into a couple of the characters uh, in the book, uh, Chipboard, we talked previously in the in the segment, uh, first segment, uh, about your career as a librarian. You you started as a bookmobile librarian.
1: Yeah, I was a bookmobile librarian in Tuscola County for about eleven years.
0: What was that like? I, I remember as a, as a kid out in U.N. County, avidly consuming uh, you know bookmobile. It was uh, quite the experience.
1: Well, bookmobile was a, one of the more fun jobs I've ever had. Uh, I really did not intend to be a bookmobile librarian for that long, but it was just a hard job to walk away from. Uh, for one thing, you, you're kind of on your own, which is, uh, was nice for me. I like that. hardly ever saw my supervisor. Um, you know, and you drive this huge truck full of books out along the, the desert, I went to a, an Indian reservation. I went to Dugway and, uh, you know, military outposts, small towns. I went to Wendover on the border. Had a very large territory, um, and uh, people are always glad to see the bookmobile. Uh, You know, the whole neighborhood comes on sometimes. People talk; it's a gathering place, um, and uh, it was fun. It was, uh, it was just, uh, it was a little, it was like a combination of being in the library and at uh, on Little House in the Prairie at the same time. (laughs) Uh, So I enjoyed that, um, but uh, you know, eventually it was time to move on.
0: And then, uh, as we've been saying, you ended your career as assistant director of Salt Lake uh, City Public Library. Very interesting reading here that uh, your essay, which uh, which I just uh, read this morning once I learned of it, How the Public Library Became Heartbreak Hotel, is uh, is now the inspiration for a, a movie, The Public, which is in production.
1: Yeah, uh, that was uh, sort of an... Uh, the essay that I wrote, uh, which kind of went viral, it, started, it, it, it appeared in the L.A. Times... In a shorter version, and then it was put out by Tom Dispatch, which is a, a project of The Nation magazine, so uh, they have a pretty good distribution network. Uh, when it went out, and it was really my way of sort of bearing witness on the way out the door about what I had learned about the homeless who are in the library, and uh, Martin Sheen, uh, the actor, uh, got a hold of me, and uh, he has been very active in homeless issues for a long time. And uh, he wanted to use the essay, and his son, Emilio Estevez, read it and bought the film rights. That's very unusual. You usually buy film rights for fiction because that's proprietary. But, uh, you know, essays, that's just your opinion. Everyone's got one, so (laughs) there's no need to buy the film rights. But he did that rather generously. And then uh, uh you know, I think he was also seeking my cooperation. He wrote a script uh, this was back in two thousand and eight, and he had a cast lined up. He had money, everything was going forward. He was about to start production, and then the economy collapsed, and some of his money withdrew, and the whole thing fell apart. He went on by the way, uh, as sort of a uh, compensation to to make a wonderful movie with his dad called "The Way," if you ever get a chance to see that. Um, but then here we are, you know, seven or eight years later. He rewrote the script, and uh, the movie was uh, uh, was filmed in Cincinnati in January. Uh, I think it, the the production is mostly done with. He's about to start the festival circuit. I'm hoping that the, it'll appear in in at Sundance this year. I I haven't heard for sure, uh, but he'll he'll be doing the festival circuit, and the movie should be out next year.
0: So t- tell me a little bit about it. as as I was reading here. You know, there there are facets of homelessness life that if you haven't been homeless you you probably don't know and this was a fascinating one to me that uh, the, the homeless shelters uh, you know you, you get kicked out of the shelter at 6 a.m. and by 9 a.m. and the library opens there's a there's a line of uh, homeless people they want to come in sit down use the bathroom that you know, get warm I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and homeless uh, people. Uh, let me let me back up just for a second, Tom. I, I want to make a distinction here. We have a lot of homeless people in this country right now. Most homeless people uh, are homeless because we also have a lot of working poor people in this country who get by on two or three part-time jobs, maybe seasonal work. Um, And they can can be put out on the street uh, by, a a, uh, they lose one job, they lose, uh, uh, they have an accident, an illness, a domestic crisis. Most of those people are only homeless once in their lives, and they look like you and me. They're indistinguishable from them. The people that we point to and say, oh, look at those homeless people in the library, Uh, sometimes they're called street people or transients uh sociologists refer to them as uh, the uh the chronically homeless they're the people who are basically out there all the time in my experience a lot of them are um, uh, untreated mentally ill uh, i have probably been on the phone with the 911 operator more than anybody i know because people who uh, were suffering uh, schizophrenia or some other uh, debilitating uh, illness uh, came in off the street and had a psychotic episode, and uh, I think the part that bothered me was that um, it, it seems not only immoral to uh, throw people out on the street who are suffering from a mental illness, and then and then punishing them for expressing their symptoms, uh, but it was also stupid public policy because. Um, The 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 transients uh, the street people that were out there were really costing the taxpayer a lot of money. The research that I did at the time that I wrote the essay seemed to indicate that most most cities spend between twenty and fifty thousand a year on their homeless uh, on on any given homeless person. Uh, That's because they're in and out of clinics, they're in and out of jail, they're uh, you know they're calling paramedics for them when they have when they have problems. So um, instead of solving the problem, we endlessly manage it, and it seemed to me that we could do much better. And I also wanted to explain to people who complain constantly about all of the people who are homeless in the library that, well, if you kick them out on the street and they have nowhere to go and there's not affordable housing and there's not, uh, you know, programs for them to to solve their problems, then they're going to go to the library because it's warm in the winter, It's, it's cool in the summer it's out of the rain Uh, there's lots of entertainment and uh, and I think that it's a non-judgmental environment which is important to them one of the things you often lose when you're homeless is your dignity and at the library we try to give a measure of that back Mm.
0: and it it seems that we've seen this lately with the whole debate in uh, you know Salt Lake City and Salt Lake County there's a lot of NIMBY going around Uh, you know not in my backyard we we tend to want to as the public, speaking publicly, many people who are working on this issue, but speaking as public as a whole is maybe you don't want to think about this too much.
1: No. Uh, I think that they, they complain uh, when they see homeless people on the street or begging on street corners or in the library, and uh, and that's about as far as it goes. Uh, my essay was an attempt to to try to, uh, you might say, unpack that a little bit farther for uh, people who, who aren't familiar with the issues. I hope that the movie um also gets a discussion going i know that that's what emilio wants to do he wants to to put this program in front of the public and say hey how about these people aren't they worthy of respect and shouldn't we consider them of course it's going to be done in a hollywood fashion with a lot of drama mm-hmm.
0: yeah i guess that's in the you know maybe a way in for people to really engage on the issue uh, by the way emilio estevez gives you a blurb on your on your on the on the jacket here of the of the book
1: Yes. Yeah, he was very generous to do that. Uh, I uh, got blurbs from uh, people who um, are... close to me in my life and that I like, people like Rebecca Solnit, uh, Nancy Tessman, who is the former uh, uh, director of the library, my, my last boss, Rob Ekman, uh, who's at the, uh, the King's English Bookstore. I thought it was important to have someone uh, on, the, on the cover who, who represents independent bookstores, which I think are very important. And then, of course, there's, there's a, a blurb from the Publishers Weekly,
0: let's return talking about Stony Mesa Sagas. That's the new novel from Chip Ward. His uh, previous uh, nonfiction books are Canaries on the Rim and Hope's Horizon. And uh, Stony Mesa Sagas is out from Torrey House uh, Press. And uh, Chip Ward, that's uh, mentioned again here, will be in Salt Lake a couple of occasions uh, this week. Uh, so he'll be uh, headlining an event at the King's English Bookshop on Wednesday evening, beginning at 7 o'clock at the King's English Bookshop. And then uh, he'll he's headlining the uh, annual fall party for Heal Utah. Utah, And that's on Thursday in Salt Lake at Pierpont Place. Uh, doors open at 6.30. Program begins at 7.30. More information at HealUtah.org. So Chip Ward, uh, what if you tell me briefly in sequence about uh, the two lead characters here, Luna Waxwing and Hip Hop Hopi?
1: Well, Luna Waxwing is a, a young woman who uh, didn't feel that she fit in very well. Uh, to um, society as it was given to her, uh, she had some uh, issues with drugs, and she ended up in a wilderness therapy program that took her to Boone County, which is the county where Stony Mesa is um, is located. Uh, and uh, she, you might say, she found herself there. Uh, went back to college, uh, became a, uh, you know, studied wildlife management, and then decided to go back to Boone County and protest a tar sands uh, project, a tar sands mine that was uh, slated to be opened. Uh, she met her boyfriend, Hip-Hop Hopi. That's a name for himself. He kind of gets over himself uh, later in the book and just refers to himself as Hoppy. Hoppy has been vagabonding around the, the West and uh, has decided to join the protest. And they basically meet in jail, and uh, a romance develops after that.
0: So tell us why, why they're in jail.
1: Well, they're in jail for chaining themselves to a mining site gate, uh, trying to close it down.
0: Mm. I want to get into some of the themes of the book. I uh, just want to bring forward, and there are uh, many uh, funny scenes in the book. It's uh, some serious issues, but uh, told in a very fun fun way. Uh, one scene where um, Luna Waxwing, I guess the, part of the reason why she was sent out to Boone County on this wilderness survival uh, teen program, um, she's approached by a policeman. She's just dropped some uh, LSD, and in the course of this, uh, she escapes from uh, custody and— uh, and takes off with the cop car. Tell us what happens next.
1: Well, she doesn't get very far. Um, She she takes the police car uh, because uh, she's high on acid and she is not quite sure what's happening. She thinks that she's being abducted, and uh, she's not quite sure who the policeman is, but he stops to get a, a whopper and fries, and uh, she slips through the cage in the back of the uh, the, the vehicle and takes off, and uh, she turns on the siren, which is probably, in the, in the lights, which is probably not a good idea, and then she's going at 10 miles an hour, which a uh, speed she considers very dangerous, and uh, eventually a cop runs up and, and uh, reaches past her and grabs the keys, and and she's arrested. And of course, the LSD wears off, and she's very contrite. And uh, at that point, they send her into a wilderness therapy program.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the police was uh, able to practically walk up and turn the—I found that very funny. Um, So uh, she ends up, and I think she finds a love for for that land, right, when she's sent out to this—you know, we've heard of many of these uh, teen programs where they send them out to to backpacks into the wilderness—
1: yeah I think that uh, at first she uh, she arrives uh, very resentful and uh, resists and uh, uh, you know it, it's hard if you've never done backpacking before, especially if you're doing it for weeks at a time, uh, there's not only the pack that you have to lug up and down, and there's very little level ground out here, so it's up and down uh, and then of course, at night uh, there's a solar shower which is usually too hot or too cold. Uh, you eat whatever food is given, there's no choice they take your shoes away from you at night and then the counselors are uh, endlessly getting them to talk about their issues so she doesn't like it very much but after a while uh, she sort of um, she she is you might say seduced by the beauty of the landscape she starts to understand solitude she gets back in touch with some very basic things and uh, and, and and ends up becoming very thankful for the small things in her life and sort of puts things back into perspective
0: the book touches on many uh, current events, current issues, um, including tar sands mining. I think they're protesting that. That's one of the things that the, the characters are, are doing. Also, uh, beaver reintroduction.
1: Yeah, that's uh, something I've written about for Time Dispatch. Um, uh, it, all across uh, the world, really, um, people are beginning to recognize that at one time, uh, the, the landscapes had lots of beavers in them, and uh, of course, we trapped them for their pelts. Uh, uh, there was a huge fur trade going on for a long time, but um, uh, beavers actually have a very important ecological role. They slow down the water flow recharge aquifers, uh, create habitat for other species, everything from insects and birds to, to larger animals. And, uh, and so uh, because of their ecological value, the services that they provide, uh, people are reintroducing them to watersheds. This is especially important right now because the West is not only very arid, but uh, in an era of global warming, we've had droughts. Soil moisture is, is getting drier and drier. There are bigger and more intense fires uh and so uh, putting back uh, a creature that will uh, recharge uh, they distribute the water and, and so forth is uh, is very important when i wrote about beaver introduction for tom engelhart one of the emphasis i wanted to make was that um one of the reasons they introduced wolves back into Yellowstone was because uh, when there were too many elk and they ate all of the willows, they started to have a decreasing beaver population. And if you look at a map uh, that uh, of, of over time from the let's say from 1900 to the current day, you can see on the map how streams and springs and and so forth on the land have disappeared. So uh, bringing the wolves back was still a way of uh, limiting the elk population, which would bring back the willows, which might encourage the beavers and so forth. You know, it, it's it's all connected, and uh, I think that's one of the big lessons we're learning here in the 21st century is that it really is all connected. So the beavers play a key ecological role, and, and in many places they're trying to put them back. Not in Utah so much. Um, uh, in it, it was uh, proposed, I think, for the uh, the watershed along the uh, Escalante, and uh, some. Kind of, I have an email from a county commissioner. Uh, I can't remember if it was Kane County or Garfield County saying, you know, beavers are nothing more than an an, an environmentalist plot. So in the book, uh, Hoppy and 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 Luna take part in the reintroduction of some beavers, and then there's a tragedy that, that I I don't want to talk too much about. That would be spoiling the fun for people who read the novel.
0: Yeah, the book is Stony Mesa Sagas. I want before we go to another break I want to uh, ask you about this uh, you uh, there's some materials here from Tory House Press and they ask you what are the themes that your book touches upon one of the themes that you talk about you say I would say that they they are about how our alienation from our fellow creatures that share the planet is destructive to both them and to us
1: i I believe so, and uh, in the book you you get the uh, the different perspectives on that there 's a uh, a character named j r burnside uh, he 's more uh, more of a major character in the second uh, book of the novel the second novella uh, his ranch is being sold uh, to a developer there 's going to be some mini mansions uh, gated community put up, and everyone in town is very upset about it but but he has a very adversarial um, Attitude towards all of the the animals. I mean, he's uh, constantly fighting with pests and varmints, and uh, he gets into a feud with a coyote that eats his chickens. And he wants his last his last uh, you know it's, it might say public act while he's in Stony Mesa is to kill the coyote and nail its hide to his ranch gate. Um, that ends up uh, being very consequential as well. And Luna, of course, is uh, one of these people who, who believes that animals uh, are, uh, being, uh, are suffering needlessly, and, and she's not a vegan, or, uh, but they, they serve meat at their restaurant, but they, they're very much lean towards, uh, you might say the animal rights agenda.
0: And, uh, and this is very au courant, right? They, they end up uh, being micro-farming restaurateurs.
1: Right, and, uh, you, you know, it's very hard to make a living in these remote places, and uh, down here in Torrey we have several people who are trying that, and um, I've been watching and observing with a uh, uh, with great deal of curiosity about whether they'll make it or not, but it's very encouraging. It's a wonderful way to live on the land.
0: By the way, what are, what are some of the current issues that uh, you're dealing with there in Torrey, in Wayne County?
1: Well, I think the big issue that's been in the papers is uh, the uh, county commissioners gave permission for a a local gravel company in Loa to uh, build a gravel pit on a saddle overlooking Torrey. It's about one mile from from Torrey itself. It's in an area that's very windy. You know, one of Torrey's uh, secrets is that we have a lot of wind down here. We sit between uh, two plateaus, Thousand Lake Mountain, which is actually a plateau, and boulder mountain which is also actually a plateau And the wind has to squeeze in between those two. We're kind of like in the neck of a funnel. So putting a gravel pit with all the dust involved uh, right above a town that makes its living through tourism and recreation was a really bad fit. And so there was a lot of local opposition. Eventually, there was a trial. At this point, Sitla, the School Institutional Trust Land Association, that uh, authority that that is uh, leasing the land, uh, withdrew the lease, and they've now got that land up for auction of, uh, to see if there's a buyer and hopefully we'll find out uh, that uh, whatever happens to that land, it won't be a gravel pit. But I think that it was it was a significant issue down here locally because we have a cultural divide, the same one that I talk about in the in the novel where you've got the New West and the Old West rubbing up against each other. Uh, people in Torrey, uh, Grover, Teasdale, who are at the gateway to the National Park, uh, have uh, a very different mindset about these things than the, the commissioners who live in Loa and Fremont.
0: Yeah, it is an interesting microcosm of the divide that's happening all over the West, isn't it?
1: Yes. Mm -hmm.
0: Let's take another break. When we come back, I want to uh, reference um, uh, a dispatch from or a post from TomDispatch.com from 2012. It's very poignant. Uh, The subtitle is A Letter of Apology to My Granddaughter. And I want to use this as a way of getting into uh, what you think of the state of environmental activism is today. You've been involved for many years And I want to review a little bit of that history and bring it forward to today. We'll do uh, more of that following the break. Okay.
1: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah State University's Center for Women and Gender, providing a professional and social climate to enhance opportunities through learning, discovery, and engagement. Information at womanandgender.usu.edu. Along the banks of the Nile River, Egyptian farmers grow bananas, cotton and rice but have no use for the leaves and stems left over from harvest. Much of this material is burned, a practice that leads to air quality problems and public health concerns. But biological engineers at USU see a solution. They've developed a way to turn that unwanted plant waste into something useful. Through a process called catalytic pyrolysis, the material is broken down and made into oils or polymers that can be turned into bio-based plastics or everyday goods like home insulation, adhesives or oil-based paints.
0: Support on Utah Public Radio for Creating Tomorrow is provided in part by our members and the College of Engineering at Utah State University, offering undergraduate and graduate degrees in biological engineering. Information at engineering.usu.edu. You're listening to Access Utah. We've reached our last segment with Chip Ward. Uh, he has a novel out, Stony Mesa Sagas. It's uh, from uh, Torrey House Press, and uh, he will be in Salt Lake City on Wednesday and again on Thursday. Two events that are free and open to the public. Um, or the first event is free and open to the public. The second you have to get a ticket, but it'll uh, it'll benefit. Uh, heel utah so the first is at the uh, king's english bookshop that's uh, wednesday evening at uh, 7 p.m reading and signing there and then the uh, annual fall party for heel utah that's in salt lake city at pierpont place doors open at six thirty, and program begins at seven thirty. information and tickets at heel utah.org So before the break, Chip Ward referenced a poignant post on Tom Dispatch. This is from 2012. I want to see get an update here. Um, The title is We Screwed Up, A Letter of Apology to My Granddaughter, and uh, just uh, a note at the beginning, you say, I became politically active and committed on the day 20 years ago when I realized I could stand on the front porch of my house and point to three homes where children were in wheelchairs, to a home where a child had just died of leukemia, to another where a child was born missing a kidney, yet another where a child suffered from spina bifida, all my parental alarms went off at once. And I asked an obvious question, what's going on here? Uh, tell us in brief how, how you did get into activism.
1: Well, we were living in Grantsville, and this is actually about, uh, th- we moved there 38 years ago. And uh, if you're familiar with Grantsville, of course at the time, Grantsville was much smaller and much more rural than it is today. Uh, you know it sits there under the Stansbury mountains it's a lovely little town we uh... were busy raising three small children uh... we were going through what i would call a nesting period in our lives and we didn't look up much but um, we began to hear a lot of uh... talk in town about how many people had cancer how many people were suffering from chronic illnesses, and um, we became uh, fairly alarmed. But we we kind of uh, wrote it off and said, well, you know, there's a lot of occupational exposure out there. If you're at MagCorp, uh, you're exposed to chlorine gas. If you're working for Kennecott, it's probably heavy metals. If you're at the Army Depot, it's solvents. So um, maybe that's why people are not doing well here. Uh, but I think that at the point where I realized there were an awful lot of children who were also suffering, uh, I had to ask myself, did I inadvertently move my kids into harm's way? And my activism really began there. Um, I, you know, it, over the years, I've been labeled a lot. People call me an environmentalist. I think maybe sometimes that's a, a misnomer. I should be called an, an embodimentalist because I think that's the point. We embody our environments. I've been called a liberal, a radical, crazy, whatever. Uh, and some names I can't say on the radio. But um, I, really it all started because I was a father and I was concerned about my my uh, my small children. Today those children are, are grown up and they have their own children. So now I have five grandchildren and I, I, I have to worry about what kind of world they're inheriting.
0: Now you, you talked about kind of the beginning of uh, years of your uh, activism um, in your first book, Canaries on the Rim. And then the second book, Hope's Horizon. Um, which is described as, uh, you know, sort of a hopeful, well, it's in the title, Hope, right? <laughs> you you follow a yes. new generation of activists. Um, I wonder about uh, today, what's, are you more on the hope side or the pessimistic side, or what where, where do you think it, activism is going uh, today?
1: Well, uh, it's changed a lot, um, and it's changed in ways I probably don't understand because of the the new technologies and new media that are out there. Um, But, uh, you know, I'm I'm very encouraged to the resistance that we've seen since uh, Mr. Trump was elected. And um, I know a lot of people here locally that weren't involved before politically that are now. And I think that's, that's a hopeful sign. Um, I think that we're moving in the right direction. Uh, you know, if you take the long view there has been progress i know it's very easy to despair it's very easy to look at the news today and and become grim but uh, i've seen just enormous uh, progress in in my life which is not very long i'm 68 so it's not that long historically and uh, i i think we're headed in the right direction the problem is uh, will we get there in time we're kind of in a in a race you might say uh, between our better angels and our and our not so good angels
0: this, uh, I want to return to this letter. This is on Tom Dispatch. You can find this at um, the It's titled, We Screwed Up, A Letter of Apology to My Granddaughter. So you address this to your granddaughter, Maddie. This is uh, March of 2012. I just want to read uh, one paragraph here. We picked out on most of the fertile soil, the forests and their timber, and the oceans that teemed with fish. Before we scraped the seabed raw, dumped our poisonous wastes in the water and turned it acid and barren. Hey, that ocean was an awesome place, and it's too bad you can't know it like we did. There were bright coral reefs, vibrant to runs of red salmon, ribbons of birds. Uh, you, you, you go on uh, on in this vein, uh, you know. An apology to to your your granddaughter, um, Art. Are things, uh, this future is as dire as you thought in 2012, worse, better?
1: Oh, I think it's probably about the same. I think I've been uh, fairly aware of uh, the, the uh, shredding of biological diversity, uh, the, the warming of the globe. Um, I, you know, Bill McKibben was writing about this stuff at the end of the 80s, so it's it's been around for a while I would say that the major uh, contradiction, the fundamental contradiction of our time is that we have an economy, a global economy, that's based on uh, the idea of unending, uninterrupted growth. If you have uh, a decline of even a percent or two, it's a crisis. And it really is a crisis when people lose their jobs and their homes and so forth. Um, but uh, you can't have unending growth when you have a finite environment uh there's only so much fresh water there's only so much um, there's so many resources there's, uh, the, the the atmosphere will only tolerate so much pollution before the weather is no longer benign and uh, I think we've reached those limits it's been a long long story You know, normally what happens is uh, once you use up your own environment you conquer your neighbor's environment and colonize it and then use their resources uh, there are two other ways that we, we get around it, one is through technology which has been wonderful, we learn to extend our reach and extend our efficiency of, of our use of raw materials. Uh, through technology, and that that continues, uh, but I think even that is reaching a limit and then the third way that we uh, really uh, misbehave out there by using up more than our share is to steal from the future. You know you have a uh, an aquifer that took uh, ten thousand years to develop, and you use it up in a hundred years, and gee, the next generation is just out of luck so uh, it 's a big picture, and all I can say is that despair doesn 't get you very far. Um, you know, trying to be hopeful and, and, and positive is, is, is usually a better strategy, I think.
0: I want to have you uh, get your take on uh, some current uh, issues, current controversies. And you write about some of these in an interesting post on TomDispatch.com from last fall. It's called, titled Indians and Cowboys, the 2016 version of an old story on a new planet. Uh, first of these is the, uh, the Keystone uh, Pipeline. What's your, what's your take uh, now a year later?
1: Well, I think that, you know, uh, when uh, President Obama uh, called a halt to it, uh, we were all very hopeful that uh, that was it, and that the uh, the Native Americans who were opposing it had won. Of course, Trump reversed that. Oil is now flowing. It's in, in, in the court. There will be court decisions eventually. Uh, but, um, uh, you, you know, here, in it, it, I think the article also talked about the Bears' ears. And at the time that I wrote it, uh, we were all... Uh, campaigning for uh, bears ears to be named as a national monument uh... we were very happy when president obama finally did that uh, and, of course, now it looks like President Trump will come along and drastically shrink it. So, um, you know, you really get closure in these kinds of issues. Uh, you know, they just go on and on. And uh, I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I never despair when there's a setback. I just say, well, you know, that's how it works. It's two steps forward, one step backward, and then you pick up and you go on.
0: You also write in this piece about the standoff of the Malheur Wildlife Refuge, and you you put place that in conflict uh, context, that uh, um, you know perhaps the ranchers were emboldened by the the, the uh, public lands officials stepping down uh, on a, a grazing dispute uh, originally with with the with the Elder Bundy
1: right that was a standoff that happened uh... in bunkerville uh... when they were rounding up uh... Clive and bundy's cattle that had been grazing illegally on uh, public land for many many years he owned uh... owed i think more than a million dollars in fees and he wasn't paying them and uh... the feds moved in to seize the cattle and get them off the land and uh... a, a bunch of armed militants showed up and uh, the uh, blm rangers backed down which was probably wise there would have been a a, a terrible bloodshed. Uh, that trial, by the way, is is finally going on now. I think they're selecting a jury in, in Nevada, so that's happening now.
0: I want to just have oh, about three or four minutes left in the, in the program. I want to um, you get your take personally on, on the landscape, and, and, and specifically, first question, how has the landscape shaped you?
1: Oh, well, I think that my uh, a very formative experience in my life was living in the middle of Capitol Reef National Park and running a guest ranch there. I had never been uh, responsible for my own food, my own water. And uh, living out there, I was. And uh, I began to realize that, uh, you know, although we like to think of ourselves as these disembodied egos, you know, these uh, uh, rulers of the universe, uh, really we are embedded in our, natu- in our, in our natural environments. Uh, there was an old 60s expression that said, you are what you eat. Uh, that's true. You are what you eat, what you breathe, and what you drink, and if you don't think so, there's a simple experiment that you can do at home. You can stop eating for three weeks, you can stop taking in fluids for three days, or you can stop breathing for three minutes and your body will make the case for you very convincingly that life is the process of translating a natural physical environment into flesh and blood and bone and nerve and experience. So um, I think that uh, that experience of living in the wilderness, would was very grounding for me. When I moved to Toola County and they were starting to build a hazardous waste industries area out there, uh, an area that can I guess can only uh, be described as an environmental sacrifice zone, I knew what was at stake because I had been grounded in that wilderness area. Today I'm an older man. <laughs> I've returned to uh, the canyons that I love, and I'm now realizing that my, my source for uh, Solace and and grace is also found out here in the land, so it, if anything, it has become even more important to me.
0: Final question, uh, just a couple of minute or a half left. Um, uh, what do you hope people take from Sony Mesa Sagas?
1: Well, I originally wrote it, I think one of the reasons the novel is the way it is, is I wrote it very unselfconsciously, because when I started it, I had no intention of publishing it. And in fact, when I finished it, I I printed up a couple of copies, and I circulated it among friends and families, and and they convinced me that uh, I should share it. What I hope that they get is, first of all, just to be entertained and amused. I think people, especially people who are engaged in environmental work, conservation work, uh, deserve a little entertainment. Now and then, and I hope that provides it. But if you're not that minded like that, I I hope you read it, enjoy it, and like the characters enough that you, you take some of the messages that are in the book and take them to heart and at least start to think about them.
0: Well, uh, you can interact with Chip Ward if you're going to be in the Salt Lake City area this week. So the first event is Wednesday evening at the King's English Bookshop, and that begins at 7 p.m. Then on Thursday, Chip Ward will uh, uh, headline the annual fall party for Heal Utah. That's an organization that he co-founded. Uh, you can find more information on that at healutah.org, and it's at Pierpont Place. In Salt Lake City, doors open at 6:30. Program begins at 7:30. Stony Mesa Sagas, the new novel out from Chipboard, is out from Torrey House Press. Chipboard has joined us from uh, Torrey. Uh, thanks so much. Thank you. And uh, thanks for listening to Access Utah.
1: Support for Utah Public Radio comes from listeners and Moab Area Travel Council, whose support of tourism, events, and recreation in Grand County promotes and protects the natural beauty for visitors from across the state
0: of Utah. Information available online at discovermoab.com.
1: Tune in for Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. except your intelligence. Coming up, the philosophy of trash. Garbage, refuse, rubbish, waste. So many words for stuff we throw away. That isn't one person's trash another person's treasure?
0: Maybe It's time to consign our throwaway society to the dustbin of history. Sounds like we
1: need to take a deep dumpster dive.
0: The Philosophy of Trash, next time
1: on Philosophy Talk. Join us Tuesday at 4 a.m. on Utah Public Radio. This is Ted Twinting. And I am a development officer with Utah Public Radio.
0: Underwriting with UPR allows you and your business to capture the attention and ears of informed, educated, and savvy consumers across the state of Utah. To learn more about becoming a sponsor with UPR, call our development team at 435-797-3141.